Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist analysis podcast from the Socialist Party. This episode marks two years since the horrific and avoidable inferno that killed 72 people at Grenfell Tower. But incredibly, more working class residents, this time on an estate in Bark in East London, have just suffered the loss of their homes due to profit-driven housing firms using combustible materials on their flats. We'll be asking why these fires happen, what is needed to ensure safety and justice, and how working class people can win safe homes for all. Thanks, Dave. This episode will go out around the time of the two-year anniversary of the Grenfell Tower disaster in West London. We'd like to start by expressing our most profound sympathy, solidarity and respect for those who perished in that preventable catastrophe and those who survived them, as well as the firefighters who risked their lives and the other workers and volunteers who have taken part in relief efforts and campaigns. The horror of the 14th of June 2017 reverberates still and as we'll be discussing, the fight for justice and safety is ongoing. Joining us today to discuss that is Paul Kershaw, who is the chair of the Housing Workers Branch of the Trade Union Unite. Hello, Paul. Hi. Meanwhile, almost two years to the day after Grenfell, another preventable fire in a block of flats underlines that the capitalist system has refused to learn any of the core lessons. In the 9th June blaze on the Barking Riverside estate in East London, luckily everyone escaped alive. But profit-driven corner-cutting and contempt for working-class lives and homes was at play in Barking too. So, also joining us today is Pete Mason, who is the chair of the Barking Reach Residents Association. Hello, Pete. Hi, James. So, to begin with Grenfell, as a representative of workers in the sector, Paul, what do you think were the main causes of that tragedy? Well, I think the terrible thing is that the main risk factors were completely well known. There was no mystery at all to it. The type of cladding that was used, the lack of sprinklers, Mm. the... uh, way in which the fire could be transmitted from one flat to another as a result of poor maintenance over the years. These are all completely known risk factors and they were the cause and that's why they were in fact flagged up. I suppose standing back a bit you could say it's cuts, it's um, profiteering, it's deregulation and ultimately just an unwillingness to listen to either the workers or particularly the tenants and residents in the block who had actually flagged up these issues. Mm. Now, I think there's a really complicated jigsaw of, of issues that's coming together that's around the specific causes. And perhaps rather than going into a summary of all of that, there's just two revelations that have come through this week from work that Inside Housing magazine, which is the trade magazine, has produced. Mm-hmm. And they illustrate the scale of the problem, the nature of the problem. And one is that it was known that there was a decision taken before the renovation work on Grenfell Tower to change the original specification to a cheaper specification that meant that the flammable cladding was specified instead of inflammable cladding. Mm. And what's been revealed by Inside Housing combing through documents is that there was a clear decision influenced by the fact they had paperwork from the government saying that the lessons that were being drawn to report from the previous fire, the Lacanel fire. So that was in 2009 in South London, Precisely, yes. yeah. That they weren't likely 
to be transmitted into legislation. So in other words, they were giving the green light to Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea to use the unsafe, cheaper cladding. Mm. And I suppose there's a number of factors about that. John McDonnell was lambasted in the press for talking about social murder. Mm-hmm. And one answer is, well, it's not about an individual decision, it's about inequality and profit-driven priorities. But actually what this makes clear is that there were people that took quite conscious decisions with the information about the effect that would have in mm-hmm. terms of safety. And then the second revelation just this week is about the extensive correspondence specifically warning of the risks that went to Barwell, who was at the time was housing minister and then subsequently quite significantly became Theresa May's head of staff after mm-hmm. he lost his seat in the election. And he was failing to respond to correspondence, even from MPs, to the point that they started sending the correspondence by recorded delivery mail. Really? Because it was just going into a void. Mm. So again, they ca- and I think the, it was a month before the, uh, the actual fire was their last warning. So it's quite clear that at the highest levels, it was about absolutely knowingly refusing to act on the warnings that they had. Mm-hmm. And actually they were more keen... I think the housing, the ministry responsible for housing was more keen on overachieving in um, the Prime Minister Cameron's aim of deregulation, ripping up regulations, Mm -hmm. than they were in ensuring safety. So the terrible thing underneath is there is absolutely no mystery. There's lots of details, but it's quite clear, really, why that fire happened. So it was this combination of the general context of austerity, of of profiteering, as you say, by the private companies involved in supplying materials and carrying out the maintenance, as well as the specific decisions of politicians whose purpose is to defend that system, defend big business interests and profit interests. And Pete, there are parallels with the fire embarking, isn't that right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the first and most obvious one is that what spread the fire was the wooden balconies which acted exactly in the Mm. same way as the cladding up the side of the Grenfell Tower. It's just essentially stacked like firewood in reality all Mm. the way up the building with a um, a wooden floor. And, you know, you would otherwise expect that the residents, if one of them set fire to their flat, that that would be the end of it, that they wouldn't spread. But it's precisely because of this uh, external decoration. The wood is essentially described as decorative. And so it adds to the value of the property at the cost of the lives of the, uh, of the residents within it. And they had a, uh, a stay-put policy, just as in Grenfell. There are many parallels in actual mm. fact. I have to add that as a result of Grenfell, not as a result of Grenfell actually, but as a result of the action of the residents in reality, Really, we forced the landlord to remove the managing agent. Another one came in and they immediately put on a show of sorting out fire safety, uh, which they evidently completely failed to do. Mm -hmm. But they did change the policy from stay put to evacuate, brought in a night fire warden who obviously wasn't there during the day when the fire started. Mm -hmm. But they didn't actually change the alarms from silent, which is if you have a stay-put policy, you have a fire somewhere, the alarms don't go off through the building because obviously then everybody wouldn't stay put. But those alarms sounded silently. 
So even in, in terms of changing the policy, it wasn't thought through properly. And so it was extremely dangerous. And the residents ran exactly the same as, as Grenfell from door to door, banging and banging on doors to um, screaming. You know, when you, you've got videos, you can hear them screaming, uh, get out, get out. I mean, now we should say that the, the Birking estate has got low rise mm. and the priority was the high rise. But I don't think it's an excuse. No, clearly. And it's true, isn't it, as well, that the Barking Reach Residents Association, which you chair, had written to, was it the managing agent, the property management? No, we, uh, we'd written to the... Construction company, was it? Well, that's right. We'd written both to the freeholder, that's the superior landlord, above the landlord that owns the various blocks, who's got a, they've got a sort of like a lease for a thousand years, and they shoved it onto Bellway. Which is the right. construction company. Which is the construction company. So we, we wrote to them, but I also rang him. I rang John, uh, now then, Enright. Who's he? He's the, the head of customer care. I asked about all the wood in the homes. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, it's all treated. It takes 30 minutes to go off to set fire. But we actually saw these flames exactly as Grenfell mm. leaping from flat to flat. Well, not even leaping, but just simply going across from flat to flat, across sideways as well as up um, along these untreat- this untreated uh, wood. So a lot of people will wonder, why is this? Is there some common cause to all these various problems, these jigsaw problems, as you put it? Paul, of inaction, of regulation being insufficient or confusing, of corruption, you might say, some would describe it as that at the top, of politics and of business, of austerity, corner cutting, ignoring working class concerns, which were raised both by the Grenfell Action Group two years ago Mm. and before this fire by the Barking Reach Residents Association. What is underneath it all? I mean, one way I suppose to think about that is imagine a setup where Homes were built to meet social need. Hmm. There was proper inspection for safety around clear regulations, regulations designed to ensure safety rather than profit. They were built by direct labour and they were well managed by organisations accountable to the community and the people that lived in them. And by direct labour you mean publicly, the public sector? Precisely, that's right, yes. And actually then if you think through all the interlinking problems, the, the jigsaw, that actually would be the basis for curing the problem. So it really is, a, it's, it's fair to say this is a problem of capitalism. Mm. I think it's been particularly accentuated in, in recent years with the, the moves to, uh, to privatise, the, the outsourcing, which means that the lines of accountability get ever more complicated. Mm-hmm. And actually, a whole number of factors about how properties are managed. I mean, it is those basic profit-driven issues, but I think one thing housing managers would say is that their role has changed from concentrating on the uh, the basics of safety to having a whole number of other functions added from checking people's immigration status Mm. to um, trying to refer people with massive social problems to non-existent services, you know, in the area Mm -hmm. that really things have got worse. So it isn't just capitalism, it's capitalism as we have it now. Mm. But really, the solution would be to run housing as if it was run for social need. So austerity has exacerbated all these problems, but the profit system is Mm. fundamentally underneath all of them. And this point that you raise about outsourcing and the the incredible complexity of Mm. 
no one even seems to understand in a lot of cases exactly who owns what or who is responsible for carrying out which particular mm. service or fixing this or that. Of course, after a catastrophe, they're all trying to point the finger at each other. Mm. But even before then, uh, a lot of people who live on estates, certainly my experience living on estates, it's very unclear. Yeah. Does the council provide this service? Is it this private company? Is it the leaseholder's responsibility? Do mm. tenants have any say in the matter? Mm. It's a complete nightmare. And we have to point the finger, I think, not just at, of course, the traditional party of capitalism in this country, the Tories, but a big role was played by the Labour Party under right-wing leadership, under Blairism. In particular, of course, there was the um, mass privatisation or outsourcing of council housing stock into what were called arms-length management organisations, and that's part of the picture as well, isn't it? Mm. And certainly the Unite Housing Workers branch has made the point that it was an accident, really, and the Socialist Party has made the same point, that this happened, Grenfell happened in a, a Tory authority, it could have happened in a Labour authority. Absolutely, yes. And in fact, that is the case, isn't it? Barking and Dagenham has a Labour council, and Labour councils across the country in the previous period have been involved, as we've discussed, in privatising estates, in pursuing a policy of pushing housing out of the public sector, where council democracy is far from perfect, as we would envision it, but there is some modicum of democratic control into really completely unaccountable private hands. Do you think that's been a factor in the fire embarking? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they have this sort of hands-off policy and uh, everything's wonderful with privatisation and it's been the exact opposite. It's been an absolute disaster from start to finish as far as the residents are concerned. The constructions were very cheap. A lot of the stuff... You know, like the houses were leaking, the the uh, water systems, um, the gas systems, uh, the heating systems in particular. The heating system was private, and the people who ran the heating system went bust, and then it was left. What we have forced, we've have forced the council to be far more critical of the developers, but only after the disasters. Mm. In other words, just simply too late. And I haven't, still haven't heard. Any tweet from Darren Rodwell saying, well, maybe this policy of privatisation was entirely wrong and I now support Jeremy Corbyn in, in recognising that, you know, we should have an anti-austerity uh, policy. And he, he, you know, he justifies it by saying, well, we have no money, but uh, we don't uh, accept that in the Residents Association. They should campaign against the government to get the money. Now, this question of going into the public sector, I think, will make a lot of sense to people who have seen the terrible effects of privatisation in all sorts of areas. But there is still this question, isn't there? What actual say in things would that really give residents and workers in the sector? I mean, that is really crucial because in both these cases, and actually in other fire risk cases, it's been really clear that residents have known the risks or had some idea that there were risks. Mm. And the government initially gave some indication they were going to respond to that. One of Theresa May's many statements that weren't acted on afterwards was, we've got to listen to um, to residents. But then that's just been forgotten, that's disappeared. Mm-hmm. And I think what's happened is that actually, over the last several years, housing associations and supposedly social landlords have actually run down and consciously tried to break up tenants' organisations, which Mm. they used to support. And I think it's key that that's reversed so that tenants have a genuinely independent voice. It's not just a matter of listening to focus groups and responses to questions that the landlord puts, but that there's properly supported organisations, the people that live in the properties. And that's the other side of the coin to um, driving out the profit interests, because we do want 
people to be able to have a say and control in their, their lives. Mm-hmm. So the going into the public sector would allow proper integration of services, proper resourcing of services, but the additional key element would be residents' control of yeah. where they live yeah. on, on a democratic basis through their own organisations. Now, that brings me on to another aspect of the discussion, which is the inquiry into the Grenfell fire. And the official inquiry seems to produce very little of worth, as you touched on earlier on, Paul. 72 people died. The bosses and the politicians are clearly responsible. They should be in jail. So why is progress so slow? And how can we get justice for Grenfell? Absolutely. More Blick, the um, runs the inquiry originally said that the first stage of the inquiry would report, and that's the stage that would talk about the immediate causes, Mm. last Easter. Mm -hmm. At that stage, they hadn't even taken any evidence. (laughs) The latest estimate as to when they would get that first stage of the report is October this year, but, I mean, I'm not holding my breath. Mm. And that's only the first stage. They would then look at the wider issues, and what's being said is, well, the criminal prosecutions have to wait until this report is finished. So it looks like that could be 2022. Really? So, you know, if justice delayed is justice denied, this is absolutely a scandal. And I think it's really significant that we have progress from journalists. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of the inquiry is supposed to be they have special powers, they have enormous resources. We don't have progress from the inquiry. Mm. And, you know, you can't help thinking there was a conflict of interest shall we say, when the inquiry was set up, that people like Gavin Barwell, mm-hmm. uh, mentioned before, formerly Housing Minister, then Chief of Staff in Theresa May's office, were the people that were instrumental in setting this up. You know, was it really their priority that this inquiry would get to the truth mm-hmm. rapidly? I think people in the community still want to put pressure on the, the inquiry because it does have certain powers that means it potentially can get access to information that others can't. Sure. And they're very keen to have involvement. There have been recent moves to give them a bit more involvement in the inquiry. But I don't think we should have confidence in that. And really, I think many of us have felt there's a case for a community-based labour movement-backed inquiry that would look at the fundamental issues, would have a bit of a wider remit. I mean, one of the things about Morbick is he tries to narrow down what the inquiry will look into Mm -hmm. and get some real answers as quickly as possible. Mm. That's a priority because the point you touched on before, that this is still the case, that there's, we don't know how many homes around the country that face these risks. I mean, Mm. there's hardly been any progress made on the directly comparable tower blocks, which, you know, are tower blocks, but it's not just tower blocks that are at risk, as um, the Barking case shows, and have exactly the same material that went up in flames in Grenfell. But there's much wider issues which are not being examined. And again, that's illustrated by the barking fire because of the wood used there, but there's other types of composite cladding Mm -hmm. that are thought to be serious risk. We need that information in order to act. And if there's not action, sooner or later, it's not scaremongering to say there will be another fire Mm. and more lives could be lost. Mm. So that's the urgency really behind this. And that's why... I think it is important the Labour movement back that, and certainly there have been important steps by the Fire Brigades Union, by Unite and so on, but maybe that needs to go further still. And I guess the other side of it is the importance of residents being able to get access to proper fire risk assessments Mm -hmm. and then actually acting on that. And there's been a lot of foot-dragging 
about that. Again, the leg movement needs to give support to resident groups to access that information mm -hmm. and then demand action. Now, there's a very good proposal, it's a bit delayed, but very good proposal from Labour, that if landlords fail to act, there will be a series of measures taken, but in the end, properties will be confiscated from them. But that proposal is that really all they have to do is show significant progress yeah. by the end of this year. Well, they've had two years already. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, why, why, why would you wait? Exactly, yeah. So it's a good it's an opening, mm. but as you say, we need to move now. And I think the, the other side in terms of putting pressure to get movement on this, it's not something you would walk into casually, but with the basic principle of no safety, no rent. Okay. That needs to be organised. You know, as an individual, when you don't pay your rent, you put yourself at massive risk. So you're talking about a rent strike? Forms of rent strike, yes, mm. or withholding service charges, whatever. For leaseholders. For leaseholders. That is worth looking at. And if you think of the... I mean, this isn't the Iron Lady. This is the weakest <laughs> government, really, that you could look at in history. Sure. A massive campaign linked to that sort of pressure saying we're not prepared to put up with another two years of lives being put at risk, I think that would be an unstoppable campaign. Picking up on that, actually, one of the proposals we're making is that we do set up our own inquiry. Paul, I'd love your help on, on yeah. conducting that, all your expertise. And we have written to the landlord asking for the fire risk assessment. We got an email back saying you'll have them in two days. I just checked my phone, they haven't come through. Hmm. And that would be good actually to talk about now, Pete. What are the campaign's key demands in Barking? I know it's still under discussion at this early stage, but mm. what is the Socialist Party arguing should be those demands? Obviously, you know, I'm the chair of the association. I'm also a Socialist Party member, and, and everybody knows that. The Socialist Party has offered help. You know, we're not going in and saying, the Socialist Party says you should do this. We've gone not. along and asked. And so it's really the residents themselves who've drawn up what really are well-known issues. And so we've got a whole series of proposals we're putting tonight, which obviously supported by the Residents Association Committee in terms of rehousing the insurance company that insures all the flats, saying, well, you can just move back. It's not in one of the ones that's completely burnt out, but, you know, it's still a block in very high risk. The rest of it could go up. There's balconies on the other side of the stairwells that, that could go up and Along the whole of the back, it's just wood cladding. Mm. So that's not an option for a lot of residents. So we have a, a battle there. But more generally, you know, we're setting up a campaign. We're calling on Bellway and all others involved in the construction and management of the estate to immediately remove the wood cladding from the houses and flats at their own expense. We don't want to see the service charge suddenly go hugely up because um, mm. of this. And I think at the same time, we don't want way to simply rip everything off and leave a, 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 an estate which looks like it's in a state of disrepair so we want them to make good restore to the same aesthetic and value but also we have raised that adriatic which and is the main the, the landlord the landlord yeah. for that block has had as has already been said two years since grenfell to assess the situation several people have been complaining about it over a whole period of time they failed to address the issue of cladding, so we believe Adriatic has forfeited its right to ownership of this property, which is, it goes along the lines that the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn are putting forward. We're not going to give them six months 
to uh, make up their minds whether to allow us to fry in our homes or not. Quite right. And then the meeting that we hold on Tuesday was pre-arranged because the residents of Samuel Garside House actually wished to go to Right to Manage, which is their right as leaseholders under law. So that would mean that rather than the landlord contracting in a private company which you've got no control over mm-hmm. that the residents themselves could organize and decide who mm. provides the services yeah they, so they could either form themselves as a company and run the services themselves or they could employ a managing agent but that managing agent would then be answerable to them rather than to, in the first instance to the landlord then we would be saying you know, you've got to fix the balconies. Okay, and what about rehousing? Yes, the residents of um, Samuel Garside House want to be rehoused. And because this is a growing estate and they're building all the time, it's only uh, perhaps a fifth or so completed, and, and you know, another 10,000 houses may be uh, built, mainly flats, then we feel that they ought to be able to say, here's a like-for-like swap, this plot can be yours all of the um, leaseholders that have lost all that you know these flats are worth two three hundred thousand pounds that money should be in back in their bank accounts when you've been burnt out your flat all your documents are gone your passport's Mm. gone Mm. it's not that you can just simply say oh that's fine and this issue of rehousing was very contentious at Grenfell wasn't it, Paul? Because Jeremy Corbyn said some very good things at the time about what should happen and doesn't seem to have capitalised on the very positive mood which he generated around those proposals at the time. Absolutely. I mean, Theresa May said some quite good things at the time because she said that (laughs) everybody would be rehoused within three weeks. Mm. And at the end of May this year, there were still 14 families not rehoused. So it's been a painfully slow process. Mm -hmm. Now... I think anybody who visited that area, and for various reasons I did, when you spoke to people, there was obviously grief. There was a lot of anger, and actually a very political understanding. I was quite startled that people would be would jump from talking about people they'd lost mm. to how they can find money for foreign wars, for bombs, but they can't find money for basic safety. Mm. Like people just volunteer that sort of observation. I certainly picked up in a huge groundswell of support for Jeremy Corbyn in particular. Mm-hmm. And I think it's partly because he looks so different to uh, Theresa May. You know, he was prepared to come and talk to people instead of that visit to officials that Theresa May did and then scarfed off. Yeah, and there were those images of him holding people who were clearly exactly. in shock and in grief. Yeah, that's right. And he raised this idea of the importance of rehousing people sure. and requisitioning empty properties to do that. And actually, you know, in that area, that's a really sharp point to raise because there's plenty of absolutely empty properties, despite the housing need, but despite the overcrowding that exists. Mm. really is where global capital have their houses as safe deposit boxes mm. in their savings rather than as places to live. And actually, apart from the totally empty houses, Shelter at the time did a a report suggesting that if you include houses which are only used for a few weeks of the year that are mainly left empty, that about 10% of the housing stock in Kensington Chelsea is just empty. Really? At the same time, as you have always a big homelessness problem, but these people thrown out of their homes 
and with nowhere to live, trying to deal with kids in hotels, not even in the immediate area, that sort of thing. And why are these homes empty? Exactly. Well, it's profitable for someone, isn't it? That's the thing. Mm. And that idea of using the empty homes to house the homeless, that was a very powerful idea to raise. Mm. Got a big resonance. And that could be still the basis of a massive campaign. And certainly, I think it should have been then, because there was a huge groundswell of sympathy for the, you know, the plight of those people nationally. And I think when, when he raised that idea, it was one of these issues where the, the press went into overdrive, yeah. you know, and they particularly said, how, well, this isn't just populism. This is challenging property rights. Yeah. Terrible. Mm. <laughs> and I think there was a backing off, you could say that, by Labour. Yeah. And that missed an opportunity. In reality, if you imagine it the other way, imagine they'd just carried on with that demand. That Theresa May's pledge to rehouse people in three weeks was completely correct. That was completely reasonable. Every week longer was unreasonable. Two years later, mm. that's an absolute outrage. And we should still raise those issues, and we should repeat them, obviously, in the case of Barking now. And particularly in that moment when the entire establishment, from top to bottom, of every stripe, mm. every private company, every council leader, every politician in Parliament who was part of this rotten system, had been absolutely exposed, mm. how could mm. they say no to the public mood, particularly if it was based on mass organisations of residents in these dangerous tower blocks, of workers in the sector and in other sectors working collectively to apply that pressure. Jeremy Corbyn really missed a trick there because really that could have been the end of the government. That could have been the beginning of a movement which brought down the Tory government and started to really redress all of the issues which underlie these tragedies, these destructions of lives. And I remember being on the ground with you actually, Paul, two days after the fire, outside the council offices in the Royal Borough of Canterbury and Chelsea, the wealthiest borough mm. in London. And what had happened was that survivors and other local residents had stormed the council offices demanding action on rehousing, demanding that information about who was in the blocks be released to them. There was a real sense that they had the whip hand. Yeah. And I remember that the police were there and had had managed to get them out of the council offices and were barricading the doors and looked frightened, actually, at the power which these ordinary working-class people had. I remember us marching them from the council offices back to the scene of the crime, as they called it, back to Grenfell Tower. And chants that did very well on that march included the government and murderers, bring down the government. There was an extremely potent mood on those marches. And that wasn't isolated to the survivors in the local area. That was something which was very widespread in the working class in Britain and around the world, and even into higher echelons of society, actually. There was real outrage. What's the mood like in Barking, Pete? There's been an antagonism to the landlords and the managing agents for some considerable time, because, as I explained earlier, of all the different problems... When you look at the the problems, then Bellway are competing against the other building companies who can provide the cheapest quote to the, the private landlords that are building the estate. For instance, the heating is, was so bad that we've just been assured there will be gas-fired heating rather than the eco-heating that was introduced, which, you know, is great, but it just simply doesn't heat the houses, it doesn't heat the flats. <laughs> mm. But 
it's that competition between builders that forces these shortcuts. When you're talking about housing people, and the same with hospitals, education, other things, the profit motive should, simply shouldn't be there. Same with transport, same with all the goods and services that people need on a daily basis, the needs, if you like, of the, uh, of the people. The top building companies in the FTSE 100 should all be nationalised so that there's one, um, if you like, one body that then can build houses at an extremely high standard for all. And in actual fact, if the councils then built those houses, as we had originally in Barking and Dagon on the Beckentree estate, the workers, when they saw those houses, when they moved out of the slums of the rest of London into the Beckentree estate, they said it's like paradise with the gates off. You know, it was this incredible big houses with a garden on either side, big wide avenues and all green all round and this was council housing which was of far higher quality than the private housing of the time and then I think when people today people want to buy their own house because they the the council stock that remains is in a decrepit state but Mm. I think if we had a government that did what I've just said produce those kinds of housing then people wouldn't be spending a third or a, even a half or even more of their income on housing and in hock to the mortgage companies for all their life. They would be able to have these relatively low rent, very high quality housing, which they could move into at a moment's notice, be plenty of it. It would be, you know, be building millions of them. And I think that would solve the housing problem. And this raises two issues, which I think maybe, Paul, you should just comment on. One of which is the question of safety, because I'm aware, for example, that the heating issue on the Barking Estate, Pete, Mm. is still a safety issue because of the presence, for example, of an external diesel-fired unit because of the the inadequacy of the boiler system there. When you've just had a fire and you've got a diesel-fired unit next to these Mm. buildings covered in woods, and Mm. you've made the point in an article for the Socialist newspaper, imagine the heat of the fire in those buildings on the side of a diesel-fired heating unit. So there are issues around the estate still embarking to do Mm. with safety. But of course, that's the case in Grenfell also, isn't it? And perhaps you could comment on that and maybe add some points to what Pete was just saying there in terms of what kind of policies would be required in a socialist programme for safe homes. There's a number of angles to it, and it's certainly the case in Grenfell. It wasn't just the cladding. Actually, every dimension of safety Mm. they got wrong. The ongoing maintenance that destroyed the fire separation between different flats. Mm. The lack of fire sprinklers, where there's very clear recommendations for sprinklers. Actually, the fire brigade union underlined that. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. absence is still not being addressed. There's also the role, actually, of housing associations. And housing associations now manage the majority of social housing in Britain, but also a lot of, quotes affordable housing and housing that's built for sale mm-hmm. is their responsibility. Southern Housing Group and other housing associations are landlords in that block as well. Actually, most of the members of the Unite Housing Workers Branch work for housing associations, and we've seen how the nature of those organisations has really changed I think our members, in many cases, started work to in those organisations to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And now they behave more and more just like commercial property companies. Mm. Holding those organisations to account in some way is an important issue. Because actually, you know, there is this issue that 
at least in council housing, you have freedom of information requests. You can demand to see your fire safety assessments in the end. But because housing associations are legally private organisations, they're not under the same obligations. That's the importance of regulating them in the first place, because actually one of the things the government did is to reduce regulation. Sure. But in the end, it's really about putting them back under public control mm-hmm. and taking out the uh, the profit driver, because they don't distribute profits to their own shareholders, but they do have to make profits for the banks that they borrow from sure. and so on. So they actually have the same priorities because of that. And I think in terms of things we can do, just want to make a sort of practical reference, really, to an initiative that the Unite Housing Branch has, which is a network called SHAC of residents and tenants. So SHAC stands for? Social Housing Action Campaign. Okay. And it's a network of residents, groups, tenants, and so on, of housing association properties to share information and to organise a fight back, Mm. really. And we were keen to set that up because we could see how, whereas if local authorities cut a service, that's a political issue, it tended to go under the radar with housing associations and probably still does. So our members could see safety checks being cut back, management being reduced, which means that will have knock-on effects on safety and on other issues. And how would the tenants know? So it's an attempt to relate to tenant organisations. So definitely to encourage people, if you want to do something about conditions on your estate, that's a good way to get in touch with other people and to organise. So it's not simply about having the right ideas or about having regulation in the abstract, but really about who owns these things and who controls the regulations. Absolutely. Well, Paul and Pete, thanks very much for joining us. Grenfell was, in truth, more than just a disaster. It was an atrocity, a murderous consequence of a society organised to extract profit for a tiny elite instead of planning for social need. If you'd like to get organised on your estate to fight for safety and better living conditions, then you can join a residence association or organise a tenants' union to apply collective pressure. You can also get involved with the Social Housing Action Campaign, SHAC. You can find suggestions for all of that and get hold of campaign materials online Here's Dave with the details. Thanks, James. Subsequent to that recording, a passionate packed meeting on Pete's estate in Barking condemned the private firms and the government for causing the blaze, demanded the immediate removal of combustible cladding and balconies, and began the process of establishing an independent resident-led inquiry into the fire. The Socialist Party calls for an independent working-class inquiry into Grenfell as well, led by the residents and by the trade unions. We say all toxic waste around Grenfell must be cleared up now and all cladding must come off similar buildings immediately, with the bill, of course, going to the government. Displaced people must be rehoused in quality, permanent homes, with no delay, and councils must requisition empty homes to do it if necessary. Councils should use reserves and borrowing powers to reverse the cuts which contributed to these fires immediately, as well as building council homes instead of selling them off. Councils should also launch a mass campaign for the necessary funding to be restored by central government. And residents and workers, when they come together, have the power. That's been shown when they force the bosses to come and answer to residents embarking. 
by protesting together and if necessary raising the possibility of withholding rent and service charges, residents can force change. You can read our feature article on the two-year anniversary of Grenfell, reports on the campaign Pete is helping to lead in Barking, and details about how to join the fight back at socialistparty.org.uk. There are also campaign materials available on that site, or you can email socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. That's also the address if you have any questions or ideas for future episodes. You can find out more about SHAC, the Social Housing Action Campaign, at shaction.org. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party. This week we heard from Paul Kershaw and Pete Mason speaking to James Ivins. And I'm Dave Carr. Till next time, solidarity.